Hi everyone, you're listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview investors to find out how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Today, we are bringing back the note closer, Scott Carson. If you want to hear a story, this is not the episode that you got to listen to. You've got to listen to Tuesday's episode, not last week's episode, the episode before this. So, Scott, welcome back to the show. Man, glad to be here. We had such a good time last week. I was glad to come back, man. <laughs> I know. It's a great time. You know, still wearing the same clothes. It's doing great. We're doing great. But <laughs> a pleasure to have you back onto the show. And, I, and I'm excited to really get granular and on some of the details and how we can get started if we wanted to get into note investing. Sounds good, man. Let's help educate your audience, man. Here to help anyone we can. Yeah, let's do it. So I guess my first thought is how much money do you think it really takes to get started with note investing? And what should the first step be? That's really a great question because most people think you need to have like a big wad of cash, like 5 million, 10 million to be considered. And there's a lot of people out there that will also say that, oh, you're too small. The banks won't deal with you because you don't have any experience and you're just too small. They're not going to sell to you. Well, that's not the case. Banks have stuff they need to move off their books. And if this idiot can get big banks like US Bank or others, Wells Fargo, multifamily or other things to send them notes, you can too. You just got to know what to say, what not to say. So we actually had a lot of our students actually buy their first note for 50 grand. And you may be on a, a single family home or like my my student Larry, he just bought a note for 13 grand on an $80,000 property, borrowed 45, I think. So he picked it up at a big discount. Guy's going to start paying 340 a month to him. Well, that's not get rich. It is also a great way to build residual wealth passively. So he's looking at doing one of those deals a month, you know, and so that's, you know, there's a lot of great ways to get started without having to have a lot of capital. Of course, we all know there's trillions and trillions of dollars that sitting on the sideline, not making anything. And you can use your, your self-directed IRA accounts to buy these deals. You can partner up with people and have them fund your deal and pay them a flat return on investment. So you don't have to have a lot of money in your bank account to get started doing this. Hmm. And so let's say I do want to get started into doing this. What should my first step be? And of course, like after education and you know understanding and learning the lingo, uh, which I feel like is a given, like do I then just start going to banks door to door? And No, here's the thing. And it all depends on what your goals are and actually how much time you have. If you're working a full-time J-O-B, you're not going to have all day long to do this. You're going to have, like as, as we like to say, Gary V says, the, the side hustle, 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. So for those that are starting, you know, still working and, and they've gone through the education, gone through a class or two and feel comfortable, you can literally jump on LinkedIn and start connecting with asset managers and just sending them contacts. Hey, you know, you, you first of all want to make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date. So something about real estate investing mm-hmm. that you're an investor, but it's literally, you can contact, you know, 20, 50 asset managers in a day. And a lot of them will say, yeah, we probably don't have anything now, but we'll have something in the future. Or we had, do have something. It just depends on how many you hit up. That's one way on LinkedIn. There's also drip marketing. There's a way for you to pull some list of contacts off of different state li- licensing websites. And we send an email out once a month to our list of asset managers and banks, and you'll be surprised. Somebody's got something. So it's really that balancing your time and, and, and time blocking to get make sure you get that marketing out. Not a lot of, I mean, there's going to be some costs for your uh, 
your email service provider like Keep or, or Salesforce or something like that that you use. But 80% of sales are going to be made after the fifth contact. So it's all about that touch basis, that repetitiveness, and just following up. I had another student today. He's been trying to contact this one fund that we know we ha- they have a note. We know they've got notes. It literally says on their website. And the lady, he sent an email and it got blocked by spam block. A lot of these banks have pretty extensive spam filters. So he called three times finally and he got her on the phone. Well, that led to 35 notes being sent to him. Whew. Yeah. And so he can cherry pick those notes, but it's just the fact that you have to follow up. I mean, 48% of people never follow up past the first contact. And so that's part of what's made us successful over this time frame is that we just literally follow up and follow up. We don't expect an email to be a yes right now, but at some point you're either going to hit that unsubscribe button or you're going to say, hmm, let me call this guy or gal. They're consistent. Let's talk to them. Do you ever use VAs to call on your behalf? So like if you were to be, you know, you have your J-O-B, you know, do you use VAs or do you hire somebody part-time to make those calls if you can't? Yeah, you could totally hire VAs to do that. We actually work with a VA company, actually help train their VAs to help our students out. Uh, We use a company Hmm. called Riva Global Real Estate VAs. They're out of... the Philippines, but Bob Lachance and Connecticut representing my Filipino people. There you're right. I know you are. I can tell it's a good thing. (laughs) Thank you. But you got to give them scripts. That's part of the big thing. You got to know what to say, what not to say. So Mm -hmm. I like using LinkedIn and emails because then you can control those conversations. If you have, if you've got a VA, they may not necessarily know what the question is. And bankers are, their time is very sensitive. I guess you'd say, if you get some, I just need to answer the questions or that the a VA doesn't know exactly which way to turn or what questions is asked, like, you know, what are you buying or where are you buying at? You know, or the hey, I got an individual deal, would you be interested? It can be kind of difficult. But you know, if you got VAs that can follow up with people and we use the scripts and stuff like that, yeah, it can be really uh, an amazing way to get a lot of words out. But honestly, emails and, and LinkedIn connections and stuff like that can be a great way to do it as well. Roughly how long do you think it takes to get your first notes? Wow. You could go to a website right now today and buy a note. There's some different websites out there like paperstack.com, SN Servicing, literally some of these different, you know, Watermark Exchange. You could go to look at some notes right now and take a look at it. But I don't like going into those websites because they're often picked over. And so what I like to do, it all depends on phone calls. And I, I always say, look, you'll probably, if you make 50 phone calls or make 50 bank contacts through LinkedIn, you'll probably have 14 to 20 that will respond in some sort of fashion, either accept your connection or answer your mm-hmm. phone call. Out of those, you'll probably get three to four that will have a non-disclosure that you'll need to sign. And then out of those three or four, you'll you'll probably get one tape. You know, that tape could be, a tape is a, basically an Excel spreadsheet. It's just lingo that we use in, in this a tape. And on that Excel spreadsheet, there may be one asset or there may be 900 assets. And so one of the things that we show you how to do is how to go find those asset managers, how to market to them. But you could literally, everybody could go to the, like their county recorder's office, mm-hmm. you know, the county clerk. And if you go look for assignments at the county recorder's office, you can see who had a note and who sold a note because notes are sold all the time. I was looking in Orange County, Florida, where Orlando is at for the month of January. There were 988 assignments recorded. Now, a lot of that was new notes or new mortgages that were originated and they sold the mortgage company sold it off in 30 days. But there was actually about 100 of them, which were investors selling notes or funds selling notes off to other investors or banks selling notes off as well. So it's a great way. So you can literally go to the, you know, like I said, the clerk of the recorder's office and look for assignments and you'll see, and it'll show you assignment of mortgage, assignment of mortgage, assignment of rents and leases and stuff like that on a commercial deal. So, you know, does the time frame change then? Like, is there a point where I guess you can go under contract with a note and then is it still what, 45 days, 60 days? So commercial deals, you can get up to 90 days for due diligence alone. 
Okay. And then another 30 to 45. It's all about what you ask for. Now, mm-hmm. if you're going to buy a single note from a fund, it's not 30 days to close. It may be a week because mm-hmm. you got to pull values, pull title, and then look at the collateral files. That doesn't take a lot of time to do. Now, if you're buying in bulk, they'll give you more time for that. But a lot of your funds, they'll when they have a list of notes for sale, they may have already pulled a BPO, a broker price opinion. They may have already pulled a title update, which shows who's on title, if there's any other liens out there. And then it's a matter of, okay, once you're accepted, it may be seven or 14 days before you've got to close. So you've got to have your funds and your investors ready to rock and roll and line up and, and be able to wire when you need to get things done. Now, is the BPO, the broker price opinion, is that pretty much like in... I don't even know what the phrase I'm looking for. Is that in set in stone or is there room for negotiation for against that broker price payment? So yeah, you're still going to look at everything. There's a fund out there. I won't name their names because they're idiots, but they yeah, like, they suck. They're morons because yeah. they'll get like three BPOs and they always go with the highest BPO. And when you pull the BPO, you can literally see, okay, yes, these three counts make sense, but this fourth one is way the heck out of Dodge. It doesn't make any sense. And so you've got to, we say trust, but verify, always verify. So if they say the value is 100 on the spreadsheet, you get it and you make your bid based on that 100. If the BPO comes back and says 50 grand, we reduce our bid or in our neck of the woods, we call we fade our bid. So if it was worth 100 on the spreadsheet, but we find it's worth actually worth 50, we would reduce our bid by you know 50%. Mm-hmm. And you know there's some back and forth on that. There's some countering. If there's a bunch of taxes owed, we'll reduce the bid by taxes owed. One of the most magical ways to close deals is if you get a tape in, you make an offering, and they don't accept them because somebody came in higher, follow back up with that seller in 30 or 60 days. Because I guarantee if you really did due diligence on an asset and they accepted a higher bid, you're like, well, it's probably about a 50% chance it won't close. And if you follow back up with them in 30 days, we found a lot of great deals by just doing that little, hey, did this deal sell? If it didn't, we're still interested in it. And you know, our bid still stands. You know, I bought an apartment complex down in West Palm Beach one time because they sent it to me in October and what they wanted didn't make any sense. I'm like, I'm not going to pay full value for that. No, waited 30 days. I followed back up. They came down a little bit. It's like, nope, still not enough. Called back the next month and they came down a little bit. Called back the month of December, the first of December. And I said, I can close before year end at this number. And they called me back the next day and said, okay, we'll take it. And that was literally, it's like a 30%, 35% discount off what their original price was. Holy cow. Yeah. Just in the follow-up. And that's the key. It's like anything else, just following up with those because deals will fall out or funding will flake or people will make an offering and they, then they get scared and run off and won't respond. So it's just, it's follow up with anything, man. It's how you get good at it. So then in your opinion, what do you think makes, there's a two-part question, a successful note investor versus, a, <laughs> you're ready to answer this. Why should you stay away from note investing? Okay. And what characteristics, you know, which so, should you not have? Oh yeah, this is a great question. I'm going to piss some people off. Okay. Which is okay. Let's I'm, piss people off. It's fine. Let's piss. If you're an engineer, you're going to have a hard time in the note business because most uh, engineer, most, an engineer. <laughs> yeah, well, but but you're not a typical engineer. A lot of engineers overthink every strategy because there's different exit strategies. If you buy a note, what's it like to get them reperforming, or what's it going to take to get a deed in lieu, or what route if they start paying, do we modify? What do we foreclose or do a short sale assumption? That can be complicated for an engineer because they like want in black and white numbers. Right. This note investing can be like a choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. All right. You go down one path, it may change. Like we've had borrowers that we bought the notes that we thought they would reperform and they didn't. So we had to foreclose. We also had borrowers that we thought we'd have to foreclose on. With the first phone call, they were like, oh, no, thank God I can talk to somebody. I want to stay in my house. What do I have to do? Where do I have to wire money to? 
And so that's the thing is, if you suffer from overanalyst paralysis, you're not going to be good at notes or really anything. No offense. And so you got to understand. <sighs> Take that, that engineers. <laughs> No, that's just, I'm just, I'm just, that's just not engineers. <laughs> yeah, I'm just playing. I, just, I know. <laughs> but that's the thing is that it's not the same as like, I'm going to buy a property, fix it up and turn it into a rental. Very mm-hmm. cut and dry. You know which way that's going to go. Yeah. This is different. This is why we also get bigger discounts. We have people that love to use an ROI calculator on the front end. I'm like, it's your ROI calculator is worthless. And they're like, why? I said, well, you have all these possible costs in there that are killing your deal. You wait, your double cost, what your expenses are actually going to be. Yes. Are you going to have foreclosure costs that range from 1500 to 5000 Yes. Depending on the state. But are you going to have to foreclose every time? No. Half the time, you're just going to get the bar back on track. So you can use, you don't have to figure out exactly every little penny and go from there. You know, some, you're going to learn more from like anything else. You're going to learn more from doing your first deal and going through your first deal than anything else. You're, you know, investing isn't about hitting grand slams. If you keep trying to hit grand slams with a real estate deal, you're going to strike out a lot of times or do stupid deals. Note investing is not get rich quick. It is get wealthy over time. And that's the whole way you have to approach it is starting off and building systems. A lot of our, you know, a lot of investors either they'll buy the first note deal, they get excited, they'll buy two or three, they start figuring out their systems. Then they jump to five or 10 or 20 because they're like, oh, this is not too bad. I kind of have my parameters of what states I want to invest in, what property types I want to invest in. And my one, my three favorite strategies are going to happen for exit strategies and go from there. The way that the way you get screwed up as an investor is try to do everything at once or try to do more than one thing. You got to master one strategy and, and really know that before you try to do anything else. Otherwise, you're going to be like many people spending all this money in classes and coaching, trying to be an expert at all these tools in your tool belt, but you're not going to use the tool belt very often. And you know, you've heard the parental principle, 80% of your income comes from 20% of your activities. Well, if you can get rid of the 80% activities that are wasting your time and not being productive, you'll have a 400% increase in profit. And so that's what I tell people, like focus, give whatever niche you're focused on six months to learn and start implementing and then go from there. You know, talk to people who are in your markets, talk to your local real estate investors, listen to podcasts like this one and just talk to people who are closing deals. What did you do? What would you do different? Because those that are most successful out there are going to give you, they're going to give you insight. They're going to give you the truth. They're going to literally help, try to help you avoid the same mistakes and potholes that they've stepped in along the way too. Now, for our multifamily investors, deal flow has been pretty hard to, to come by. Tight! Yes, very it, much so. Yep. It's very, very tight, right? Now, would you, I guess, recommend then to go this route and see who's not performing by the notes and then with the intent to foreclose later on? So let me tell you, because we get a lot of apartment, you asked about who's ideal at this. We get a lot of apartment investors that can't buy an apartment themselves. So they like the cash flow side of stepping in and buying a note for 50 grand or paying, instead of paying hundred grand a door, they'll go out and buy a portfolio of notes of 20 to 30. And it's still leveraging their investment across 20 to 30 doors. 20 so it's, 30 it's, doors. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's very similar. Mortgage brokers, loan officers do really well at this aspect of things. Tired landlords do really well at note investing. So when it comes to the multifamily side, I get phone calls all the day. Hey, I want a hundred unit apartment complex in this city. Well, Look, I get it. You, we all want those 100-unit apartment complexes are greater, but they're also the ones that you see on the market are the ones that there's a lot lack of inventory. So you've got to go further up the chain. There's a company called Cred IQ that we partner with and use with. They actually track all of these commercial loans that are distressed from the major servicing companies out there. And they did a search for me. I said, okay, how many apartment properties across the United States have 100 or more doors that are in distress? 
And they did the search and they came up with like 7,600 apartments across the country. So you may have to look in other areas besides your hometown. If you're just trying to invest in your hometown, you're limiting yourself to opportunities elsewhere. You also probably don't want to be investing in in markets where they're very, very low cap rates like LA, San Francisco, San Diego, just not really a great investment. It doesn't mean you can't find something, but it may be through the nose. I'll give you an example. The top 15 markets out there for apartments as far as transactions last year we're not your Oklahoma City had more closings than a lot of other. San Antonio did was number one as far as the amount of commercial debt of commercial apartment deals. But number six was rural Texas towns combined <laughs> as far as multifamily deals sold because you still got people that need need a place to live. It's still right. rent rates are still good. Like I went, I'm, I grew up in a small town in Ingleside, Texas, like ten thousand people at it. I went down there to see for the holidays and there was like six, seven brand new apartments being built or the apartments that were there were being gobbled up and being, you know, regentrified and increasing rents and stuff like that to, for the capital improvements. So look outside the big, bigger cities, look outside some of your smaller markets. You might be surprised that what you can find that makes sense because the numbers still make, still work because you still got to put people in. And many times these, uh, these deals are overlooked by the bigger funds and the biggest REITs and stuff like that, but they still have undervalued apartments and they're still opportunity, undervalued rent, still an opportunity for a lot of capital improvements and monetary improvements. Oh, this is uh, definitely expanding my mindset just a little bit. And, it, and it's really cool just to get, I guess, like a, a peek on the other side because everyone's always talking about just like the owners and the acquisitions and not the debt side, but now seeing it from sort of behind the curtains, it's a whole different ballgame. Well, that's the thing is on the debt, I don't, nobody calls the banker when the air conditioner breaks at two o'clock in the morning. Nobody calls the banker to come unclog the toilet. Hmm. You know, the bank gets paid. If you don't, if you know pay, you know stay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you have the opportunity to, if you buy the debt at a big enough discount, there's a lot of great ways to keep people in their houses or keeping people in their businesses just by changing some of the, the details of the terms. Yeah. Giving them an extension or, or adjusting the rate a little bit to make it a, a win-win scenario and not have to take the property back or not have to do a lot of heavy rehabs. So Wow. So there were a lot of different golden nuggets in this episode in terms of getting started. And I'm sure once you go through your, co- your course and your coaching and even listening to your podcast, there is an immense more amount of information that you can learn. This is just barely touching the surface. And so if people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you again, Scott? Yeah, real easy. If you just go to weclosenotes.com, that's my main website. Weclosenotes.com, you'll you'll easy contact me there. If you want to pick up the phone and and get on my schedule, you can do by going to talkwithscottcarson.com. That'll take you directly on my calendar. That's talkwithscottcarson.com. And just... Got a wealth of information for you guys to help you out there. There's plenty of deals to go around. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't come from a scarcity mindset. I really think if you're willing to do the work and put coaching or what you learned to work, plenty of deals. We're not fighting for deals. You know, that's the biggest thing. If you're doing the low hanging fruit where everybody can see that, yeah, you're getting some competition. But when you go further up that tree, the fruit is riper and the the view is also nice from the top as well. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show again, Scott. I appreciate your time. And I learned a lot just from this episode and even just the episode beforehand. So definitely just blew my mind. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And yeah, have a good one. Thanks, Alex. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you got any value out of the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you leave a rating and review on iTunes to help others receive that same value. 
If you're looking to learn more on how to passively invest in apartment buildings or self-storage assets, click on my link in the show notes to learn more. Thanks and I'll see you next time.